started. So Luke chapter 5. <laughs> um, chapter 5 verses 17 to verse 26 is where we're going to be for the bulk of the day. Um, so as, as you guys flip your Bible pages, as you guys tap your screens to get there, I want, I want to start off by talking, talking about a time in my life. So I've, I've, I've had the privilege of living in two previous countries. Uh, first, I lived in Uganda, which is where my heritage is from, a little small East African country. Um, I lived there for 11 years before I moved over to England, London. Ooh, let's go. Uh, for the next nine years before I moved over here for college, which is the situation I'm in right now. I'm a senior. Um, so I'm going to talk about something that happened to me in Uganda when I was about seven years of age. Some of you may have heard this story, uh, but bear with me. So I was, imagine a seven-year-old Mark um, riding his bike around. My house, our house, my house in Uganda was kind of big, so we had, we had a bit of land going on um, on the outskirts of the house. And I was about six, but I, was, I think I was riding a bike for about a 15-year-old because my brother was about five years. So my brother was 14, and I was riding his bike. So just picture that. I, I wasn't as tall as I am. I hit a really big growth trout. But as a kid, I was actually average size, believe it or not. Um, so just, just picture that six-year-old like riding a big bike. Um, and something crazy happened. Well, before that, I was watching Dukes of Hazard. I don't know whether you guys have watched that movie. <laughs> not, not the classic for you older folk, but for like the younger guys, the, the 2005 kind of remake. Pretty sure the older guys have still watched that. Anyways, so I was watching that movie, and I thought I was one of the guys, right? So post-movie, I'm riding my bike around my house, trying to do tricks, trying to go absurd speeds. Um, and there's like, there were literally steps like this. Um, and I tried to kind of go over them on that bike, right? As a six-year-old, I did that, didn't end too well. Ended up being on the ground, body in a very weird position <laughs> that led to my shoulder being partially dislocated. And what happened is... You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Harlan. So <laughs> so I'm standing probably probably more like this. Um, so I'm standing, looking up, and thinking to myself, "Oof, <laughs> I've got myself in a pickle here." And I'm thinking to myself as a six-year-old. Not really know what a dislocation is, but knowing I'm in pain and I'm desperate, I'm thinking, where's daddy? <laughs> Hurry back home, please. Because <laughs> he, he, he was on his way to pick my sister up from school. But this is six, seven-year-old me looking up. Sun was beaming. It was about 2 p.m. I was roasting. I was in pain and I was desperate. I was desperate for my dad to get home, desperate for him to, oh, my knees are hurting, desperate for him to come and save me, desperate for someone to help me in that situation. I was helpless, I was partially broken, literally, and I was waiting, just waiting for my dad to come save me, and he came eventually, but I think I was out there for maybe an hour, not moving, just... I may exaggerate that. I was six or seven, guys. Might have been shorter. May have been longer. I'm not too sure. May have passed out in between, but you know. But desperate. I was desperate. I was desperate. I was desperate. So as, as I thought about that memory, and I thought about what we're going to go through today in Luke 5, we see, we see a story of desperation. We see a story 
of, like we're about to read, a guy who is a paralytic, and we see what happens when desperation meets Jesus. So let's, 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 let's read this together. So Luke chapter 5, we're going we're gonna to read the whole thing, and then we'll break it up together. So verse 17. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and sit him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on a stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe, saying, and said, we have seen incredible things today. So there's a lot of crazy things happening right now, right? Dudes climbing up on a roof. Dudes unraveling a roof so they could lower someone down on a stretcher. First things first. Who here would lower their friend down from a roof on a stretcher? You're good friends. I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> So we see, we, see a group, we see a group of different people in, in, in this story. Um, firstly, we see, we see Jesus. Uh, we see the friends and the paralytic. We see, we see the Pharisees and the teachers from all over who were there with them. And then we see the crowd. We just see um, scripture tells us there is a crowd. Scripture tells us there is a massive crowd because these guys can't even get through the door to get to Jesus. So Jesus has... He has, a, he, has a, he has a posse, he has a clique, he has a group, whatever you want to call it, as a squad. He has people following him. Bear in mind, this is Luke chapter 5. He starts his ministry only a few. Isabel, you're right about technology. I should have printed this off. But early on, we see, <laughs> we see, we see Jesus start his, his ministry the chapter before this. And early on in this chapter, we see him call the first disciples. So there, there, is, there is an amazement around who Jesus is. People are following him. There's so many people, people can't even get to him. And that brings me to my, to my first point about these guys. About us. Jesus offers help to the desperate. And you don't, you don't even have to just read this, this part about the friends and the paralytic. You have, look before that. There's a leper who's healed. He calls, he, he calls Peter and he calls us, uh, John and James to be his disciples just before that. There is, there is a sense of desperation in everyone who ends up following Jesus. There, there is a state of 
I, I, I can't do this alone. And as much as I, I, needed, I needed my dad as a kid, as a six or seven year old, I realized as a 22-year-old that I need Jesus way more than I ever needed my dad in that situation. And that's what happens in this, in, in this passage. We see friends who are desperate. Friends who have a lot of love for their friend, enough to carry him around. Like I said, I wouldn't do that. But we see people who do that. We see people who, who know who Jesus is. They're amazed. There's, there's, there's whispers going on. There's whispers going on throughout the cities of who Jesus is. There's that guy who, who killed that guy who's got leprosy. There's, there's, there's that guy who's, who's doing these crazy things with those fishermen, right? There's whispers going around on who Jesus is. They may have not even seen him perform a miracle. But they, they, didn't, they, they did not need to see to believe or to have something in their hearts move towards the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. They were desperate, and in their desperation, they sought Jesus. And that was a good move. That was a good move on their part, because what happens is Jesus heals them. Jesus heals the man who was seeking to be healed. And like I said before this, we see Simon, we see we, we see Simon, who becomes Simon Peter, the guy who, be, who betrays him three times, right? We all know who that is. But what we see before that is, is Simon as a fisherman. And we see Jesus call him, and he steps out of that occupation in faith. Early on in verse 5 in the same chapter, Jesus says to Simon, when he, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night, long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down my nets. If you say so, at your command, I will do as you tell me to do. Simon, even in his little faith, recognized the command of Jesus. And when he did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. Crazy stuff. He hadn't caught one fish. <laughs> he was a fisherman. His occupation, he wasn't doing too hot, right? Imagine that. Zero percent. No efficiency whatsoever. But Jesus says, trust me. Let your net down and I'll, I'm going to show you what I can do. That's what those guys believed in. Even just a speck of faith saw them lowering their friend down through that roof, through their desperation. And I, I'm a movies guy. I love movies. I love TV shows. Um, and I was thinking, how can I relate this to a movie that I've watched recently? Anyone seen Star Wars, the most recent one? No? Anyone know what Star Wars is? No kind of what's, what's going on there? Oof, I was kind of hoping for more hands. Anyways. So Star Wars, the, the conclusion of the, of the, of the latest saga, um, Ben Kaysen helped me out with this one. Um, we, see, we see a moment of desperation, right? We see Emperor Palpatine coming back onto the scene and he, he's just about to destroy everyone, right? He's ready to go. He's just about um, got Ray on the ground, right? 
Ray, Ray is thinking, I'm, I'm about to die. She's, she's, she's hearing voices from past Jedi telling her to get up and fight. She does. They win. Spoiler alert. But, but what, happens, what, what happens when they're fighting in the, in, in the sky is that, so the good guys think they're beat. Ships are being destroyed. Ships are being bombed, right? It looks like the, it looks like the emperor and his team are going to win. But then what happens in the, in the midst of that desperation is that their friends come in and save them. They, they think they're done. They're about to die, right? They've, they've let the galaxy down, right? They're like, dying. we're about to die. That is the desperation that I see in us. For, for those of us, regardless, you know Jesus, whether you don't know Jesus, there is a desperation in us that we need to always remind ourselves of because we need him every day. These guys noticed that. Jesus also has the power to forgive sins. That's, that's moving us from that moment of desperation. We realize why we're desperate. We're desperate because of our sin. Nothing else, nothing less. We need Jesus to cure our sin. That's what we're desperate for. And he and only him can do that. And we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about a bit more about the Pharisees in this situation because there's a lot of um, controversy around who Jesus is at that time, probably still to this day. But what the Pharisees said was not wrong. They were actually correct in their, in their questioning. When they, when, when they said to him, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? That is things that are against God, right? This is going against um, what God says of all who God, God is. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're not wrong. Those questions are actually completely right. Because no one else can do such a thing. But where they faltered, where they went wrong, was thinking Jesus wasn't God. And sometimes I even ask myself the same question. Is that still a question that we have even in 2020? Right? Even to those of us who proclaim Jesus is, is, is Lord and Savior. Do we, do we sometimes lean more on just the Lord side? Do we sometimes just lean more on the Savior side? No, he is both. And him and only him. Can forgive, can forgive us of our sins. Him and only him can take care of that desperation within us, that ache within us, that hole in our hearts that needs to be filled by only him. And once again, the Pharisees, their minds are being blind. They, they, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand this guy who's coming to the scene saying, I am the son of man, um, I can forgive sins. Whatever you guys have been following or whatever you guys think is not completely correct. You're kind of faulty in your thinking, kind of faulty in your teaching. They're, they're mad, right? But then in their madness, they harden themselves to the truth. 
This is the guy who has just healed someone of a physical disability. But what Jesus says is the same thing God has always said. He didn't come on and change anything. The Pharisees were wrong in their thinking. Jesus didn't come in and change anything from how things were going or how God spoke in the past. John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus in John chapter 1, says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's talking about Jesus. But what's so crazy about that piece of scripture is that the sins of the, one, what, the, sins of the world were not just taken away. No one had the power to do that until Jesus steps on the scene. They were covered, yes, by sacrifices, right? Old Testament tells us that. But what Jesus says when he comes on is that I'm here to take away your sins. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You don't have to think you need to do certain things. Only I can take away your sin. The sacrifice that he's about to make can take away your sin. You don't have to do anything. Behold the Lamb of the Lord that takes away the sins of the world. How beautiful is that statement? If you, if you take one thing away from this British guy talking to you today, it's that. In the midst of how crazy life may be for you, in the midst of, of how good of, or how bad life is, it is that. Your sins don't have to be covered by anything that you can do. You are not good enough to do that. Sorry. Sorry to pop that bubble. None of us are good enough to cover our own sin. But only one person is. And through the sacrifice that he made for us on that cross, our sins have been taken away. If you hear one thing, remember that. If you're taking notes and your hand's getting kind of tired... That's all you need to write down. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9, verse 9 reads, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Romans chapter 11 verse 6, But, it is, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Think about that. Grace isn't grace if you think you can work yourself out of your sin. That's not grace. Grace is in the midst of your sin. I have taken you out of that. You have been washed clean. Romans chapter 4 verse 5. Sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I don't know about you guys, 
I don't want to work to, to my salvation. I don't want to work for an eternity with Jesus. That sounds like hard work. It's work that will never be completed. It's work that is not necessary. Simply because of the sacrifice Christ has paid for every single person in this room and every single person in this world. And there is... So, as I was prepping for this sermon, it was, it was hard. I think because of all the craziness that's going on, not only on campus, but Colorado, America, the world, right? There is a lot of hurt. There is a lot of pain. There, there is a lot going on in this world that pushes people to desperation. And in desperation, there are the things that they try to, the things that they think will pull them out of that desperation, it's not sufficient enough. If we think about stats about substance abuse, one in seven in America results of substance abuse. That's 40 million people in this country. In the, 40 million people in this world. That's, that's greater than the 27 million people that suffer from heart disease, 26 million people that suffer from diabetes, 19 million people that suffer from cancer. Desperation. Suicide rates are one in five people. Tenth leading cause of death in, the, in this world, in, in America, sorry. 129 people take their lives every day because they're pushed to a point where they think they can't get out. <coughs> 14 million people suffer from anxiety in any form, 18% of our population. That's, and it's hard, right? All, those th all, all of those things are hard to listen to. But what Jesus says is far greater than any of that negative stuff. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says that. In the midst of, if you guys are suffering from any of those, those thoughts, any of the things that I just said, Jesus says, cast your cares in him. Your desperation, he is taking care of it. Psalm chapter 55 verses 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Those are promises. There are declarations. The psalmist doesn't say maybe. He doesn't say if you do this, this may be the result. He says this will happen. And the back end of that is if you are suffering in that, if, if there has been a point in your life where you have had those thoughts. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power 
of Christ may rest upon me. The scars on your body allow Christ's glory to shine through you. There is nothing you can do that's going to take you outside of who Jesus thinks you are. Sorry, who Jesus knows you are. If God can use Abraham after what he does, right? Takes another woman and has a kid with her. Denies all the crazy stuff that he does. If he can take David, right? Someone who kills another woman's husband and takes her up. If he can use Noah, after seeing a flood, he still decides to disobey him. After knowing who God really is, Noah still disobeys. Abraham disobeys. David disobeys. Joshua, Paul, right, let's not even talk about Paul because we can be here for two, we can be here for the whole year. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, persecuted Christians, killed them. Romans 5 speaks to every single one of them and speaks to you when it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. In the midst of everything that you're going through. In the midst of everything you will ever go through. He has paid the price for you. His sacrifice is sufficient enough for you. He is enough for you. Interaction with Jesus leaves you with a choice. As you sit here and you've listened to all of this, you've listened to this British guy tell you what, what the Bible says about Jesus and what, and what Jesus says about you. We've read about a group of guys who lowered someone from the roof and Jesus tells him that your sins are forgiven. He has showed everyone in that room and he has showed everyone across time that he is sufficient enough for your sins. Him and him only. He has showed the Pharisees who, who, who disbelieved in him that he is the one true God who only has the power to forgive you of your sins. He has broken the sort of thinking that makes us think that we have to work towards him. We have to walk, work towards our salvation. He has said these things. He has showed these things. Believe it or not, you have interacted with Jesus right now. You have listened to his word. He has probably been speaking to you. Interaction with Jesus leaves you with a choice. Are you going to choose to glorify him and accept that truth in the midst of everything you're going through? He still says, come, let me in. Are you going to choose to follow him just like all those people did in that room, all those people who were trying to fight, trying to get into that room, those guys who lowered their friend down? 
by faith? Or are you going to choose to not do anything? I won't go to the extreme of the Pharisees hearing and completely disobeying, but in some ways, that's what's going on, right? You heard the truth. Now it's time to choose. Interaction with Jesus will leave you with a choice. So if I could ask Dara to maybe just hop on the keys. We're going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Um, and then we'll carry on. We'll carry on with the service. Lord, we just want to thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for making your sacrifice sufficient for the sins of the world. We want to thank you for being so good and so loving to us all. And in the midst of just everything that's going on in this world, in the midst of things that try to block us from who you are and who you tell us to be, as your children, Lord, we pray that we're able to just hear your call out. We're able to hear your voice in the midst of everything that's happening around us that doesn't want us to hear that voice. The voice that tells us that you are worthy, you are perfect, you are, you, you are to be glorified. And in the midst of that perfection of who you are, you invite us. You invite us to, to be with you. You invite us to be in a relationship with you. So God, I thank you. I thank you for being good enough so that I don't have to be. I thank you for being good. And with, with our eyes still closed and our heads still bowed, I'm going to challenge those of you who may have already been challenged by the Lord himself in your lives. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard this message of who Jesus is. How perfect he is in the midst of that, he invites you to be with him. I'm going to challenge you, if you haven't taken that step, to wholeheartedly Surrender to him in your desperation, making a cry out to the Lord for the first time. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand with no one looking. I'll give another chance to anyone else. Okay. Lord, we just want to thank you for those hands. 
we want to thank you for those people who have who have responded to you and responded to your truth. Lord, we thank you for being so good. Lord, we just thank you for being so good.